podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, a cricket podcast. And today we are focusing very heavily on the England versus India T20 International Series, which came to an end uh, yesterday at the time of recording. And England lost 3-2 to India in a very back and forth series, an exciting series as well. But uh, disappointing, probably left England asking more questions than it answered with a T20 World Cup not a million miles away. India, it should be said, very, very impressive. But before we lay into England, and uh, we will do that, I'm sure, but before we completely lay into England, I do want to focus on one of the positives. And let's start with that Chris Jordan catch, which wasn't actually Chris Jordan's catch. If you haven't seen it yet, absolute thing of beauty. The ball was ploughed out to sort of wide, long on, cow corner area. Chris Jordan absolutely raced round stuck out one hand and caught it as nonchalantly as I've ever seen a catch caught in my life and then just popped it up to Jason Roy, who accepted it and was laughing his head off, I think knowing that in for the rest of history, Jason Roy's name will be in the scorebook, caught Jason Roy. Uh, Finney, mate, I'm guessing you, uh, you were watching the catch live. How does that rank to all the catches you've seen in your lifetime, in your career? Yeah, it was phenomenal, wasn't it? I think you... The fact that it was one-handed as well, and I think he was pretty pissed off because Adil Rashid misfielded one in the over before off his bowling where you could hear him screaming and, and saying, no, no. And then, yeah, goes and takes a one-handed catch like that and didn't even celebrate. It was still thoroughly pissed off that Rash had um, had let that one through for a four off his bowling. So, yeah, just how nonchalant it was in the way that he caught the ball, threw it back to Jason Roy as if nothing was really happening. But... He's took some amazing catches for England. He, he's a ridiculous fielder and, and that was just another one to add to the collection. You must have played against him a lot over the years. Is he, is he as good as it gets in the field? Yeah, he's outstanding. I think you know that if the ball goes in the air anywhere near him, there's a very, very good chance it's going to get taken. He fields in the slips for Sussex, so um, he grabs everything there. I think second slip and then in the T20s and the one-day stuff, he's just prowling around in the outfield, waiting for someone to hit the ball in the air to him. Yeah, he's he's just renowned on the circuit as being an amazing fielder. And, and yeah, it's no real surprise because like, it, it looks like it's just this freak bit of one-off fielding. But actually, on practice days, you practice things like that. You practice doing freakish things. So the reason he was so calm when he was underneath it was the fact that he's probably been there in practice before. So... Um, yeah, he, he's just renowned as being an amazing fielder. Even in his brief test career for England, he, he stood in the slips and, and caught some ridiculous catches off the spin bowlers, I remember. Uh, Daniel Norcross, what did, you, what did you make of it? I was just impressed that he managed to get round to it. I wouldn't even be quick enough to get there, let alone do all the stuff he did after that. It was startling, wasn't it? I saw him take an incredible catch. I think it was at Bristol. I was on commentary. And the weirdest thing about Chris Jordan is that I could see him hurtling on this occasion, very similar actually to that catch, running round to his right at full speed. And with any other fielder, when you're on commentary, you go, it's got an eye in the air, it's going to just invade the fielder. But I kind of knew, and everybody in the ground sort of knew, that if anyone was going to get it, it would be Jordan. And he just did it. He, you know, he plucks these things out of the sky. And what a way, Toby, to celebrate the vernal equinox. He took that catch about, <laughs> about seven hours after... 
the sun has moved into the northern quadrant or even hemisphere of our planet, which is a time, incidentally, when I traditionally, I've been doing this now for a few years, I pluck a little magnolia leaf off the nearest tree I find in a nice suburb of southwest London, and I sit and I rub it gently on my left nipple just to bring... Just to, just to bring that reminder of, of you know, God's great of creation spring. of spring to me. And as, yeah. I was, as I was rubbing my left nipple with that magnolia leaf, yeah. I, I genuinely leapt out of my chair. It was an extraordinary moment. I, I, wow. And, and you're right, though, Jason Roy's face. Whoa. I mean, that, that is the most gifable moment in cricket this year, I'd say. Sorry, I've, I've, I kind of stopped listening. I've just been picturing you rubbing a magnolia into your nipple ever since you mentioned it. And it's very hard to, to, to go back to cricket after that. Should we stop the podcast here, lads? I think, I think I'm going to have a sit down, actually, if that's okay with everybody. Huh? What, what do you do for the other, like, you know, start start of winter, all around naked in some snow? What, what do you get up to at winter? Nothing quite as extravagant as that, or nothing that I'd admit to on a podcast that's... <laughs> obviously going out to millions of people a week now that oh, it's yeah. become so successful oh yeah um yeah i say nothing as weird as that no <laughs> i do i do i do nothing to celebrate winter there is no celebration to be had it's just lights out dark room yeah. bottle of gin and mm. uh and just cry for the next six months but you know chris jordan he's like the first smile yeah. <laughs> of summer well, Chris Jordan, exactly. If Even in those dark winter months, at least that Chris Jordan catch will bring back some happy memories. Um, Finney, what, what about you? Come on, the, the best catch you've ever taken in your, in your very humble opinion. Is it is, is it one that we would have seen playing for England? Is there like one on a random day of county cricket for Middlesex where you're like, oh, I wish there was more people here for this? There was one that sticks out, I think, in an ODI at Old Trafford in 2015. And I... Fast bowlers win one-day games, just sort of people try to hide us. We're either big, fast blokes who like go out and patrol the boundary or you're a bit of a donkey and you get put at short fine leg and short third man. So the field had moved, Adil Rashid was bowling and I got moved into short mid-wicket and Alex Hales, who was at deep mid-wicket, was shouting at me, let's swap, let's swap. And I was like, no, fuck off. Uh, like, I, I'm not a rubbish fielder. I've got a good pair of hands. Like, if a catch comes here, I back myself to take it. So I literally turned around. I was like, no, fuck off. I'm, I'm going to stay here. <laughs> and then, so literally the next ball, Steve Smith came down the wicket, tried to clip one through mid-wicket. And I like dived full length to my right, took a one-handed, like, it was a screamer. Probably, probably would say it's the best one I've took in my career took a screamer to my right one handed and then just ran straight towards Alex Hales and everyone was going berserk. Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it is good when something like that sticks and it's just pure instinct. Um, yeah, it felt so good. So yeah, Quint sprinting out to Hales saying, I told you I should have stayed there. I, I remember that very well, Billy, because that was the very first game, very first men's international that I commentated on Test Match Special. And I was on commentary for your catch. There you go. I bet it was an iconic moment uh, in your uh, in your commentary career. Well, I mean, not just my commentary career as a result of my my status as a trainee national treasure. Possibly an iconic moment in commentary history. And I One remember of those where were you when moments? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't do it awfully well because I couldn't believe it was you. <laughs> so I thought, what incredible catch! I've gone absolutely berserk, and I had to wait for someone to actually go. It's Stephen Finn who's taken it. What? <laughs> I thought they were winding me up. I thought day one on TMS men's TMS. They're winding me up. I, yeah, I remember it. it was absolute stunner. Brilliant catch. 
I'm, I'm trying to find it on YouTube, but not. I put Finn catch Steve Smith, but all it's done is just show me loads of really good Steve Smith catches. But if somebody somewhere listening to this must have the footage of that, because uh, I do feel like I've got it knocking around in my head somewhere. I can sort of half picture it. You mean it's on your phone already? <laughs> yeah, it's my background. My in, permanent background. In the private file, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, in those cold winter months that Dan was talking about, I just go into a dark room with a, with a video of that catch. I guess like taking screamers, Finny, must be awesome because, you know, obviously when you take big wickets and stuff, but that's kind of expected of you. That, that's your job in the team. But I guess we've talked about how it's amazing when bowlers score runs and how much they love doing that and how much batsmen love taking wickets if they ever get a bowl. But taking screamers must be a, an awesome feeling. Yeah, well, a lot of it's instinctive. When it's a screamer, you don't even have time to think about it. You just stick out a hand and it sticks or you just dive and, and it sticks. So, so yeah, and all those times that you do it in practice, you, you're always there thinking, Christ, I'd love this to happen in a game because I'm catching flies here in, in practice. <laughs> and then when it comes to a game, you don't want to shell them. So, so yeah, to, for it to stick, and it's more that than that feeling of you're almost like, oh shit, it's stuck. What do I do now? So you start running around like a lunatic. I think, wasn't it James Taylor as well when he took those couple of ridiculous catches, one of them off me in South Africa, he almost just didn't know what to do with himself. So just started running around in circles. It's a bit like that. Tell me when you you practice the catches, because I've always wondered about this as a club player. I've always found that if I practice catching before the game, I'll, I'll lose all confidence. Because I'll, because, I'll, <laughs> because I'll drop a couple. The only time right. I've ever taken like good catches is when I haven't practiced for yonks. You know, they just like come in and you go, Whoa! and you sort of like, you know what I mean? You sort of, you catch them then. If I, if I get like, if someone hits 10 catches at me, I'll probably drop five of them. So I think that nah, the best not, so I don't want to lose my confidence. Does it, does catching practice really help Finney? Because I'm very sceptical about it, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your experiences probably don't reflect that of every professional cricketer no, in the probably world. Not. I yeah, Dan Norcross's <laughs> catching warm-up is very different to Chris Jordan's. We yeah. should make that abundantly clear for a start. Well, you've got that. Isn't there a book called 10,000 Hours? Dan's got one yeah. called Zero Hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you practice something never, I find I really improve at it. Do you ever, Philly, because again, comparing it to my very limited club cricket experience, but when I play club cricket, right, I'm a crap fielder. I'm too tall to get down to one by my ankles. I, I would quite happily, when I'm playing, would happily have the ball not come at me once in the field. I'd happily do bowl my overs. And other than that, I'd be more than happy to go fine leg to fine leg and never have to field a ball. Do you ever in games be like, oh, I really don't want this catch to come my way? Or or the pros, the elite mentality, very different when you just want to be in the game? Yeah, I think you want to try and be in the game as much as you can because uh, standing around just watching everyone else do stuff can get a bit boring sometimes. And a lot of it is about anticipation. So if you're there thinking that you don't want a ball to come to you, you're almost not ready for it if it does come to you. And then you've got even more chance of dropping it and that's when you're timid towards like going towards the ball and stuff so yeah I think our attitude would very much be different to whatever cricket club you play for is fourth 11 (laughs) gangly gangly fast bowler at third man I'm saying standing around watching people do things is the definition of my job (laughs) if I didn't if I didn't like doing that there'd be no point Dan Norcross just travels up and down the UK watching athletic men do things that he can't do That's and correct. commentates on it. What a, what a gig. What a gig. Let's move on. That was one of the few positives that I could pluck out of the 
T20 International Series. And the fact that, you know, if you're not an England fan, it was actually a great series as well. Um, maybe not as many tight games as we would have liked would, would be one criticism, but a, a ridiculous amount of talent on display, as you'd expect, between arguably the two best white ball teams in the world at the moment. And um, One man that I do want to talk about is Milan, because obviously, Finney, you will, you will know him better than most. He's an area of huge discussion. And I felt a bit sorry for him as the series went on, because I don't know why it is. There are some players that, and, you know, sadly, it's social media, which is a bit of a cesspit at the best of times. But it feels like there are some players that people are almost wanting to fail so they can say, I told you so. And there's other players that no matter how badly they play are exempt from criticism. Take, for example, Mark Wood. Everybody loves Mark Wood. He's a breath of fresh air. He's very entertaining. He's very lovely. He bowls absolutely rapid. He gives you 110%. He went absolutely around the park in that final game. Nobody mentioned it. Nobody went near the fact that he bowled four overs for 50 because it's Mark Wood and we all love him. Milan, for some reason, you know, after a few iffy scores at the start of the series, you know, loads of question marks. Oh, he shouldn't be batting there. He reached his 11th score of 50 in T20 internationals for England. He brought up 1,000 2020 runs in international cricket quicker than anyone in history. He's the number one ranked T20 international batsman in the world. I saw the amazing stat that you put up on Twitter. What was that, Daniel? There are two men who have scored 1,000 plus runs in T20 international history who have got an average of 50 plus. One of them is Virat Kohli. One of them was David Balan. And just before David Balan got out, he had a higher average than Kohli. And can I just add to this? He's got the seventh highest strike rate of any man in the history of T20 internationals to have scored over 1,000 runs. And the highest in the England team. An England team, incidentally, that contains Jason Roy, Josh Butler... Johnny Bairstow, Ben Stokes, Owen Morgan. I mean, I, it's very baffling, the Milan thing, because the thing is, I succumb to a bit myself, you know, because I sort of think, do England actually really want to get Stokes up at number three to get the most out of him? And maybe get Moeen Alley in lower down and just have a whole series of biffers. And then you think, but hang on a minute, Milan is biffing quicker than any of the other biffers. So what am I thinking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is completely baffling. I mean, the stats speak for themselves. I think maybe it's the fact that he starts quite slowly. So if he doesn't make a score, then it looks yeah. a bit like he hung around not really doing much. Well, I, I said once, Toby, that, that he, he's, his first 15 balls, he looks like a man who's been blindfolded and chained to a radiator in Lebanon in about 1985. <laughs> and then after that, he looks like Kumar Sangakara. And the thing is, he sort of, he sort of does... <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I, I kind of know well I was about to say I know what you mean of course I, I know as much as I'll ever know what Dan Norcross is going on about but I kind of take your point there uh, Finney you know him better than most I mean what, what is it about what is it about him that you think maybe people don't warm to him as much as other players no I, I'm not sure it's that I think that the talent that there is in that England top and middle order I think it means that if you're in that top order, the expectations on you to perform are just ridiculous all the time because you know that there's people snapping at your heels and that that's a very motivating thing for you. If you're a player, you always have one eye on the people who are behind you snapping at your heels. So you try and keep getting better and keep improving. Um, and yeah, you look down that batting order, you look at Stokes, you look at Butler, Morgan, Roy, Bearstow, you've got all these guys who could bat in the top three or four spots, all fighting for the same places. So, yeah, it's a tricky one, but you just can't argue with those numbers, can you, at the moment? The fastest ever to a 1,000 T20 runs, 
the consistency in scoring big scores, the average. Yeah, it would have it would have been nice for him and would have been a real opportunity to, you know, stop people talking about it had he gone on to win England that game in the last T20. But you really can't argue with the numbers that he's put together. And I think that's why even through the series, when he had a couple of lower scores, that you trust him that because he's been so consistent over the course of his career so far, that, that you trust him to do to get there in the end. Well, one thing I want to ask about Philly is that he does it, he does have very startlingly different numbers in T20 internationals from you know when he goes plays Big Bash or even actually in, in the blast, which is a sort of curious anomaly, isn't it? He, he seems like he's a number one ranked batter in T20 internationals, but he's not been lined up for an IPL contract particularly. I mean, you know, not a big one. He's not sort of seen as one of the the, the people you'd really want in your perfect T20 team. Is, is there something different about T20 internationals from, you know, say an IPL or Big Bash or, or franchise leagues everywhere? I think it depends on the team that you're playing in. I mean, he played with me at Middlesex for a number of years when we didn't have the strongest, I think we had one of the worst T20 records in the country and and playing in a team like that, you're almost expected to carry the batting innings. The amount of times when Owen Morgan wasn't around that we would rely on David and Paul Sterling to get us off to a good start and try and maintain that through the innings. So I suppose there's an element of your surroundings. If you're him in that T20 England side, you know that behind him, there's Morgan, Bairstow, uh, Stokes, going down to Moen Ali, Curran, people who can hit all the way down, you're then, um, as a product of that team, you're then able to get on with it more, take more risk, because you know that there are people coming in behind you um, who are able to keep that scoring rate up. So I think it very much depends on the team and the strength of the team that you're playing in, I'd say. I'd want to move on, but um, I think we have all agree that I think social media opinions, as ever, should be taken with a, with a pinch of salt because I do get the impression he has the full support of the England setup now. I think he's certainly earned that right. And they, they stuck with the same team more or less throughout the series. And uh, I, I'd be amazed if come the 2020 World Cup, he's not batting in that third position unless he has a real crisis of form just before the tournament. I feel like Morgan now trusts him entirely. Uh, but one man we have touched on is, is Ben Stokes. And, and what do you do with him in this T20 international side? He's got a batting average of 20, no 50s in T20 internationals. Uh, he's got a bowling economy rate of 8.77 and his bowling average is, is a touch under 38. He, he really hasn't done it yet in T20 internationals for, for England. Any suggestions why that is, Daniel Norcross? I mean, he, you know, he is on paper the most talented man in that England side. Any reason why he hasn't performed yet? Well, you know, in part, yes. So when he really sets the world alight, at Rajasthan Royals, he's batting much higher up the order for a start. Also, the pitches that he thrives on, I think in the first few T20s, it was actually, they were quite tricky batting surfaces, especially when you were batting first. In this last one, when he was in fact England's pretty much most effective bowler, him and Adil Rashid, it, his ability to bowl slower balls, change ups, was much more valuable on those kind of surfaces. Whereas, you know, on those earlier surfaces, when Wood and Archer bowling fire, that was exactly what was that. That's what made that England attack look good. Now, you know, I have a little bit of concern about England that sometimes they can be a bit rigid. They're so well planned and they've got such a great idea of what they want that side to be, which is a genuine positive. But at the same time, do they react quickly enough? 
And it was clear that actually Stokes was going to be a, a way more useful seamer on that pitch that we had in the 50 than Mark Wood was going to be. Wood doesn't really bowl change us. Unfortunately, 150 kph coming onto the bat on that pitch was, was quite friendly in a strange kind of way, if it can ever be friendly. So I think at the moment, Stokes is batting in a position where you're not going to see the best out of him. But the problem then is, who does he displace further up the order to do that? It would probably have to be Milan. It'd probably, to, you'd have to bat in the top three, really, to get the most out of him, which is what he does for Rajasthan. And when he bowls, like I say, it's about he, he, it's not really about his economy rate. It's about having six bowlers means that you can always have an over of Stokes or two overs of Stokes if one of your other bowlers doesn't come off. And it's about when you use him and how you use him or which surfaces. Finney, what would you do with Ben Stokes? Because do you move him up? Do you, do you move him up the order? Do you find a way of getting the best out of him? Or is the is the game bigger than Ben Stokes and it's about what's, what, what's best for the team? If right now you're Ed Smith, you're the selectors, the T20 World Cup starts tomorrow. Stephen Finn's in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mate, I'll tell you what, I mean, you know, we saw Chris Jordan and Mark Woods figures. You've got a chance here. Good good 2020 season for Middlesex. I'm, I'm not ruling you out, mate. Uh, but genuinely, what would you do with, with Ben Stokes? Would you would you put him up the order or would you say, well, tough, Ben, you know, the other guys have done quite well up there? Well, I think absolutely the team does come first. And, and there's absolutely no doubt that the England team, that's the mantra that they have is that um, no one's bigger than the team or no one's more important than the team. And and no one displays that more than Ben Stokes, the way that he throws himself 100% into everything he does. I actually think that the IPL is going to have quite a big bearing on how England set their team up in the T20 World Cup because they just played at one ground here. The wickets were generally very good. They got better as the evening went on. There wasn't the opportunity to play on those slow, stoppy, turny ones. I think Owen Morgan said at the end of the series that he wanted to play on a few low scoring stoppy turny ones to see how players adapted and see how the team adapted to those pitches. So I think it's very much going to depend how he gets used in the IPL and how they try and get the best out of him could then determine how England get the best out of him. I think come that T20 World Cup when you're playing on all the different grounds and not just playing at a good wicket at the same place. So um, yeah, I mean, in a non-committal way to answering your question, I think it's hard to understand at the moment how you get the best out of him without seeing more evidence in Indian conditions, um, you know, with the way that his body or, or whatever form is at the moment, because that fluctuates with every cricketer, fluctuates and changes every few months that you're playing, it can change. So, so yeah, how, however Rajasthan try and get the best out of him and, and the roles that they devise, I would imagine we may see that reflected in the England team. Do you think, Freddie, though, that flexibility issue, I think, is an interesting one. With, with India, they tried so many different combinations. They gave lots of people a go, and they, they shifted their order up and down. Very Kohli ended up opening by the end of it. England seemed to be in search of a method, and they think they found it. And they were very pleased with what they'd found in the first few games. But actually, T20 is such a capricious beast, isn't it? When you're on a different pitch your resources might be better utilised differently. Do we then have the flexibility of thinking to say, all oh, right, well, we picked this 11, but on this pitch, this is a pitch where Stokes might have to go at three, or this is a pitch where Stokes might have to go at six. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but definitely. I think having captain Middlesex last year in the T20s, that was 
one thing that was apparent was that you can't just try and use the same formula for every single game. And you have to be able to read conditions because you can go in with a preconceived idea of uh, what a wicket looks as though it's going to play like, but doesn't necessarily mean that it will play like that. So you pick a team that you think from looking on the wicket that will get the best out of the team to win the game. Uh, But very much, I think that one of the important caveats, especially around winning a World Cup, is that encountering different conditions at the different grounds and regions that you go and play at, um, you have to be able to be flexible in the way that um, that you approach those games. And I do definitely, I know it might have looked as though England were rigid in their plans this series, but I don't actually think that's the case. And I think there's quite a lot of evidence of them being flexible in the way that they chase runs down. I mean, even to the stage where I think Chris Wokes batted at three in the World Cup at one stage, didn't he, or something to chase chase some runs. So it's, um, yeah, I think they're definitely flexible. And I think that we will see that probably through the summer with the different conditions that they may get at different grounds and then definitely in the World Cup. I haven't actually, we haven't spoken about your uh, your captaincy in the T20 stuff for Middlesex, but what kind of captain are you, Finney, in terms of... Mercurial. You, <laughs> <laughs> you never know, you never know what you're going to get. How, how do you manage yourself? I.e., do you go, here lads, I, I, I was striking it well in the nets the other day, I'll put myself up at four, or do you, do you bowl the important overs or do you hide and let some other poor young bowler take all the hit? No, it's interesting the the way that analysis and data analysis is used when you're a captain, especially because you'll have all the data of who matches up well against different batsmen, especially from a bowling perspective. So you'll walk out there and you'll have a general idea in your head as to what you may want to do. So we played against Kent last year in our first game or first um, game that wasn't washed out in the T20. And both, I think, Zach Crawley and Daniel Bell Drummond had pretty poor numbers against leg spin. So I thought, fuck it, I'm going to open the bowling with a leg spinner. Leg spinner went for like 18. I thought you were going to say, I'm going to open the bowling and bowl leg spin. (laughs) (laughs) That would be gutsy. Trust Um, me, guys, the stats back this up. Trust me. (laughs) And it didn't didn't play out. They got 18 or something off the first over and they were off and away in their innings and ended up getting a really big total. So, So, yeah, it's one of those things where you have to have some ideas of how you're going to approach the innings from a bowling perspective about who matches up well against what batsman. But also there's very much an element of being flexible whilst you're out there in the middle because of conditions. So one thing about stats I always find quite amusing with the matchups is that, for example, Rory Burns had an average of 70 against left-arm pace going into the series against Pakistan. Problem was he hadn't faced Shaheen Shah Afridi. So that must be a very, very good left-arm pacer. And this is no this is no attack at Rory Burns. The point is, it, it isn't, you know, just left-arm pace or just leg spin, isn't it? It's good leg spin and it's good left-arm pace. The matchups only work if the bowler is really good. Yeah, that's it. Cricket's such a complicated game as well. And I know we, we go mad about statistics, but there, there are so many variables like that. I mean, you know, who... Who had Rory Burns been facing before that? It wouldn't have been anyone close to the quality of a free. It's a, it's, a, it's a very good point. I'm just very quickly, where is the England T20 side at the moment? Because as brilliant as they've been in the 50 over stuff, the 2020 record over the last few years has, has been, you know, up and down at times. I think there's sometimes an expectation from, you know, cricket fans like myself of, well, we're really good at the 50 over stuff, which just seems to be hitting the ball really far. So 
So surely we're good at the other version where you just have to hit the ball really far. I mean, what do you reckon, Dan? Where is this side at the moment? Well, I think that's really unfair. I mean, 2020 is a game that equalises. We all know that, you know, one of the reasons why it's great playing Afghanistan in the T20 is because the longer the game, the, the sort of more experienced and the better the cricketers are, the more likely they are to win out, going all the way through to test cricket. So, you know, a T20 game is not a lottery, by any means, that the better sides will normally win. But a bit like in baseball, you know, they will also lose. And England are number one in the world. Even after losing 3-2 to India, they're still ranked number one in the world. These are the best two teams in the world. And I think, actually, the series they've just had, it wasn't by any means calamitous. I mean, they put in the perfect display in the first game. India put in the perfect display in the last game. And sides are allowed to do that. My biggest concern, and it's quite a small one, to be honest with you, is... Moeen Ali and where they use him and why they don't use him. And it struck me that there's no way England are going to go through a T20 World Cup. And let's face it, that's what this old chat is about, really. All those games are leading up to England playing in a T20 World Cup in India and trying to become the first side to hold both World Cups at the same time. They're not going to go through that campaign with one spinner. So either Moeen Ali comes in or Joe Root comes in or Matt Parkinson comes in, or something of that sort. You know, Joe Root was very effective in the T20 World Cup that England nearly won. I mean, he picked up a couple of crucial wickets in the final against the West Indies. My concern is that they haven't quite nailed that yet, and they've got a little bit fetishised around their five steamers and a leg spinner. I want to see another spinner. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think you've got to. It's India at the end of the day. You've you've got to you've got to pack your team with at least two spinners. I think because it's still it's still Indian conditions and the Moen Ali thing. Um, I can't be asked to go into England selection policy at the moment because I'm so bored of it and I'm so frustrated by it. But Moen Ali was rested during the Test series so he could play in the T20 series that he never ended up playing in. Now we said when we talked about the selection policy weeks ago, we said they're never going to be able to find a system that pleases everyone. But I do feel like. The general consensus is whatever the plan was, it hasn't worked. And the selectors have definitely not nailed it. It was a tricky task, but to, to, to rest Moen Ali in a test series and then not play him in subcontinent conditions absolutely confuses the hell out of me. Um, but Finney, I said that, you know, England are so good at the 50 over stuff and they've shown glimpses in the 2020 stuff. How similar are those two formats? Because when 2020 first started, you know, it was it was like nothing we'd ever seen before. But now 50 over cricket feels like a long 2020 game where everyone just tees off from the first ball. Is there a huge difference between the two formats or should you be good at both? Um, there are definitely skills that translate between the two. And I think that even in Test Match cricket, we were sat here a few weeks ago lauding T20 cricket because it had made the backstages of a, t- of a Test Match game so interesting. So those those skills do definitely translate across the formats. I think that the thing about T20 cricket is that once you're behind in a game, sometimes it can be very hard to claw it back. And it's about very small margins when it comes to those times in the game. So really it's probably higher pressure than you would find in a 50 over game, I think. And it's also very much a game of momentum where if you get on a roll against the team, that does tend to kick on. You look at the teams who win tournaments, they may start a little slow, but they'll find a formula and then they'll be flying by the time they get to the back end of the tournament. So yeah, there are skills that translate between the two, but they they are, they are different very slightly. But 
you look at the way that England play 50 over cricket and the since 2015, the, the disastrous World Cup and the way that they've taken that attitude of always looking to push forward, whether that's with the ball or the bat, that is the way that you play T20 cricket. Um, and I think also, you know, you've played against India in their own conditions and India actually played very well towards the back end of the series. They played some amazing cricket there, which I think that you have to sometimes hold your hands up and say, India just outplayed us in those last couple of games. Uh, but I, I don't think England have lost the T20 series for three years, something like that. So it's definitely not disaster stations. Um, I think that they'd have learned a lot about the way that they might want to formulate their team when it comes to that T20 World Cup. And now there's going to be this period of experimentation and refining what they had whilst they were in India, where they ran arguably the favourites for that T20 World Cup uh, very close come the end of the series. They've got, what, seven or eight months now to refine that game plan and push forward and make sure that everything's perfect by the time that World Cup happens. And I think that's very much what they'll do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I should say, you know, like I say, for... There's been some some losses out of nowhere in 2020 cricket for the England team over the last few years. Like Dan said, there, there comes a point in 2020 where a batsman's going to have a day out and you're going to lose games. But they have one series, uh, which shows when the pressure's down that England are very capable of winning these things. And they would have learned so much from these five games as well. You know, just months away from a, from a World Cup in India. What an experience for that lot. I also want to just leave on another positive note, an Indian positive note here. Uh, for, uh, for Kumar who bowled four overs, two for 15 in a game where, where 400 runs were scored, not even bowling quickly. Uh, it just goes to show that, you know, we talk about a batsman's game, but if you bowl well and you bowl with skill and you bowl with a bit of bravery, there is, you know, a chance to be a hero still with a white ball in your hand in, in the limited format. Uh, he just bowled so, so well. So I couldn't uh, let this podcast go without mentioning just how well he bowled. There is hope for bowlers out there yet. Don't worry. Um, I, I do think you mentioned there, India probably the favourites. We should mention no Bumrah in that series, no Jadeja in that series as well. Uh, they still aren't entirely sure of their best batting lineup as well. Just a ridiculously talented side. It, it, it would be their tournament to lose, you'd imagine. But in 2020, just about anything can happen. While still on the topic of 2020, I want to move on to uh, not England, not India, uh, but back to Afghanistan, who got um, a shout out earlier in the podcast. And Rashid Khan, because Daniel Norcross has had a Rashid Khan point. He's been desperate to get off his chest. He's been putting it in the WhatsApp group constantly. And we didn't get around to talking about it uh, last week on the podcast. But but Daniel, hit us with your lovely Rashid Khan fact. Well, it's 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 stat attack time. Uh, in the last test match, Rashid Khan earns roughly 800,000, for, for a season, a season of IPL, eight weeks of IPL. Now, I know, you know, they practice in between and all that. In that time, he'll bowl 68 overs tops. That's the most he's bowled in an IPL season. In three days of test cricket, Rashid Khan bowled 99.2 overs. He probably got paid about £1,000. And this is a question I want to ask Finney, right? Is, is that a bit of a challenge for Test cricket? I mean, I don't mean, I'm not daft enough to believe that you should get paid by the ball, right? But, <laughs> but you know, as he gets older and his, and his career dwindles and there's less and less time, is he really going to want to risk injury by bowling 99.2 overs in three days when he can get against paid? Zimbabwe. Against Zimbabwe, when he can get paid 900k four weeks later if he can keep his body and soul together for bowling two-thirds of that number. I mean, it's quite the stat, isn't it, that? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing, really, um, to think of it like that. I mean, trust you to put a very alternative spin on it. I think it's a, it's a way to say it. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely a challenge, and that's one of the challenges that Test cricket faces. Is um, you know the strains that it puts on people's body. I mean as a result of bowling a lot and I've played a lot of games in my career, I've had two knee surgeries, a lot of back problems, a lot of muscle injuries, and, and you do put yourself through it to the point where when I'm about 50, I'm going to need a walking stick or a Zimmer frame, I'd imagine to move around. So can we have our next session then? I was going to suggest exactly that. Yeah. Doing do, do do 30 years, 25 years. I'll still be quick enough for you, mate. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's definitely a challenge that test cricket faces, but also I would say there's not many people out there still who don't want to test themselves in that format. And I still think now even young guys, coming through that you speak to they still see test cricket as the ultimate challenge because physically and mentally to sustain performance over a five-day game is still a very very rewarding feeling so I, I still I don't think that emotionally that that is a problem for test match cricket but definitely financially you just can't compete with with those numbers as a test match game so it's no surprise that we are seeing more people uh, lean towards that format of cricket. I mean, it's it's obviously the the one that always comes up. It's a bit of a cliche. Is the West Indies, and you look at some of the incredible players they produced in T20, and it's made them a brilliant T20 side. You know, they're often dark horses going into a World Cup, and they shouldn't be because of the likes of Pollard, Radna Ryan, Andre Russell, etc. But those guys, they are not playing Test cricket. They are avoiding it, and you saw the side they put out against Bangladesh recently. That didn't have any of the, the T20 guns. So that is a, it feels like a concern to me, but then, you know, people have been concerned about Test cricket since the 1870s when it first started. And also, just quickly there, Finney, it's really nice to hear you say that young players that you speak to, you know, they still regard Test cricket as the ultimate, but presumably talking about young English players coming through. So I guess it's difficult to gauge what a young Afghanistani, you know, absolute gun batsman, whether he's got the same ambition for test cricket or or are you finding when you speak to young cricketers from all over the world that test cricket is still the pinnacle? Yeah, I don't have any young Afghanistani gun batsman's numbers, actually. So I haven't had the chance to <laughs> check in with them and see what their thoughts are on test match cricket. But yeah, yeah there's the... a phone box down the road from me that's got some some dodgy numbers. I think there's something <laughs> in there about that. I can find you. But yeah, I, it's definitely a concern and it's a debate that's been going on for a long time now about, um, about test match cricket. And we had Harry Gurney on here a few weeks ago, didn't we, talking about how he foresees the future of cricket. And I don't disagree with the way that he foresees it with a lot of short format cricket. But I do think and I really hope that there is still a place for the test match game because for me, and I was grow I was brought up on a diet of four-day cricket. You learned a forward defence and a length ball before you learned anything else. Um, but now if you're a youngster and if you go as a Middlesex player to do nets with some some young pups and they're scooping, reverse scooping, bowling Yorkers, bowling slower balls. And I'm there thinking when I was 10, I was just trying to hurl it down there on a length as quick as I could. So the landscape of all that is definitely changing. But I do still think that, especially here in England, that the love for Test Match cricket is retained. Yeah, and, and, and I can't see it going anywhere soon. But uh, like I said, that is a topic that will rumble on 
throughout the podcast and probably for the next 50 years in in cricket as well. Now, we did mention the the net session a few moments ago. Do, do we want to come back to this 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 thing? Of course we bloody do. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't know. No, 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 no. I think we can all move on. No, no, no. You threw that. Finney got it off his chest, you know. He had his words. But Toby, think... Toby, do you want to go down in history as a Welsher? No. You, 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 I think you, I do, actually. No, you flung down that gauntlet <laughs> quite, quite rightly, too. Apart from anything else, I think Finney needs a net because, you know, he's got to get in trim for the new season. You are the man. Give him a little bit of confidence there in the nets. I will stand at the other end. I will adjudicate. I mean, I think, in my view, it's six balls from Finney to you, Toby. Yeah. With uh, test match conditions, Finney sets his field. Okay. Uh, we're nine down. I'm going to be. I'm going to be really generous. I'm going to go six runs to get. Okay. Oh, I'm going full Shannon Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, got, you can get six. So all you all you need is six. So a lovely little flick, you know, sort of edge over first slip down to the boundary for four. I've got that, a fielder there. But, well, what fly slip? You've got a fly slip, have you? Yeah, I've got a fielder everywhere. That's one of the beauties yeah. of net sessions. Is that yeah. You, someone hits one in the air somewhere and you just say, well, I've got a fielder there. No, 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 you do not because you're going to give me your field at the start of, the, at the start of each Yeah, but you ball. don't know who I've got field in there. I could have Spider-Man, could have Superman, <laughs> could have all Chris sorts Jordan. of people. Yeah, Chris Jordan. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you 10 Chris, well, nine Chris Jordans and a Jack Russell. Why are you making it easier for him? He's the professional cricketer in this scenario and you're giving him a Jack Russell and nine Chris Jordans in the field. Jesus, but sounds like a Christmas rhyme. <laughs> am I batting? Am I batting with like one of those old eighteen nineties hockey stick cricket bats as well? Whilst around, no, you get a proper cricket bat, but you've probably also got a suit of armor. I would recommend. Yeah, that. Well, well, I've never owned an arm guard or a chest guard, but I'm going to have to invest get one. In one yeah, of those. I, I would Finney, recommend. Finney will have. Finney will have a le- well. Finney will have plenty of arm guards. Well, we've we have padded up um, S and C coaches before and bowled at them, and they use you know the rugby tackling suits that. Um, that people wear in training so that they don't get bruises all over their body. They've worn that, the Rhino rugby tackling suit. So that sounds good to me. Yeah. That sounds good. Get onto Sports Direct or something. They'll have one. I'll take all of that. I'll take the chain mail. I'll take that. Yeah, all of this sounds good. I can't really just set me a run target. I just thought the, the goal I had to survive and over was a, was a challenge. No, 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 no. You're telling me we've got six to win, are you? Well, you can Wait, get so a draw. Look, if I... you, look, if you want to get a draw, get a draw. If you want to come out there with a draw, then that's absolutely fine. You can try and block them all if you want. If you don't want the glory, Toby, then don't play the shot. What I'm yeah. doing is giving you the opportunity okay, to win a test nice. match. You're Stephen dangling Finn. the carrot. Yeah. Okay, you're yeah. dangling well, you've the had carrot. A, you've had a big mouth for the last couple of months. Put your plums on the table. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I have, and I, I, we haven't actually set this up in case you missed the last podcast. Finney had finally cracked. He'd finally had too much of my, of my abuse. Uh, and and uh, he, he challenged me to a net session. He said, I'm going to get you in the bloody nets. Every week you come in here and abuse me. So I have to say, as much as it pains me, I do deserve this punishment, uh, and and I will I will go ahead with it. Not, I don't want to, don't get me wrong, but sadly, uh, I've got too many witnesses now to back out. However, in reply, I think I should be able to bowl it over at Finney, where he has to chase... 36? Much, yeah, 36. No, 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 I mean, no, 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 no,
Because okay. I mean, you might you might get one through the Watford Wolves defence at some point as well. You never know. I'm just going to bowl. I'm just going to bowl Adam Live half trackers. <laughs> <laughs> we all know he hasn't got an answer for those. I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to shave my head and I'm going to run in and I'm going to bowl filthy Adam Live half trackers and watch. And I'm going to ask Toby Riley Jones to pad up for me and stand at the other end as well. <laughs> well, well, we'll do this then, chaps. When uh, when we're allowed to actually meet up, which hopefully isn't in the too distant future, we'll uh, we'll, we'll get this in the diary. Can, can we borrow Lords's nets? Are Lords's nets available? Hey, Middlesex can't even train at Lords, let alone me and you have a net there. <laughs> well, I do bring good news though, because this week one thing we haven't touched on, but just very quickly, the ECB has produced its roadmap for recreational cricket this week. That's true, and uh, we, we will be able to get organised cricket back together amateur cricket from the 29th of march so all you club cricketers can get back out there playing each other there are various constrictions around the clubhouse and you know it, it, we're still not quite back to you get out first ball or the second innings and then just sit in the bar for the rest of the time chain smoking exactly. drinking yeah. booze and chatting to the old the old lag behind the bar but uh, we are getting nearly there i'm pretty sure that we'll be able to arrange a net sometime sort of at least mid-April. But incidentally, speaking of, of those nets, Stephen, you would have been in them in two weeks' time. You've got to go out, well, two and a half weeks, you've got to go out and actually play a game of cricket. I went for a walk around Wimbledon Common today. It's freezing. Yeah, we've sure? got our first, first pre-season game against Yorkshire tomorrow. So, oh, no! Uh, oh. And I've got to be at the ground at 8.15, so it's disgustingly early. I think we're starting at 10.30 um, yeah, we're we're playing Yorkshire in a two-day game, and we're we've won the toss over the weekend, and we're bowling first. So, <laughs> uh, well, Adam Live, Stephen Finn, part two. Here we go. It's like when Rocky fought Apollo Creed for the second time. This is <laughs> this, this is exciting. I think I'm um, batting sh- thirteen though, so I might not get a go. <laughs> um, I should uh, I should mention, and we will finish on a uh, a positive note because we've we've sort of touched on. Uh, the easing of lockdowns and COVID there and uh, national treasure, Daniel Norcross has received the text, which is very, very exciting that he will get his first COVID vaccine jab on Thursday. We're recording this on Sunday. Uh, This Thursday, Daniel Norcross, national treasure will be receiving his COVID jab. I mean, I would have had you top of the queue. Uh, I would have gone, you know, the queen, the queen, Daniel Norcross, you know, maybe Attenborough, that sort of ilk, you yeah. know, Judy Dench. But uh, very exciting news, Daniel. And, and me and Finney are very happy for you. Not everyone delighted with you, though. What, what happened this week, Daniel? Well, I, I was on uh, another cricket, another podcast called The Cricket Podcast. I have very good friends at Cricket Podcast. And um, it was a delight to be asked on talking about the T20. And we spent about 42 mm. minutes talking about cricket. Then at the end... Ross on the cricket podcast said to me, "So, what are your what are your plans at the moment?" And I, I sniggered and laughed and said, "Yeah, my plan is to finish this bottle of wine, and then watch Ozark on the telly for the next four days, and then joy, let freedom ring. I'm going to get my jab. I'm going to get my COVID vaccine jab. I'm going to get it at Plough Lane, AFC Wimbledon, the team that I support. Can you believe it? What joy, what rapture!" And I simply said, "Everyone, get your jab." Folks, it's really great. Isn't it a marvellous thing? Isn't science brilliant? And left it at that. So there was probably about 30 seconds of jab chat. Well, the Cricket Podcast received this from Samson Nair. He'd listened to the podcast and he felt it was important to give his feedback. And this was his feedback, if you don't mind me reading it out in full. Daniel should shove all the jabs where the sun doesn't shine. 
<laughs> you are in no fucking place to push the vaccines on your listeners, you piece of shit. <laughs> this is a cricket podcast. Don't make it a political propaganda platform. You have ruined the podcast. I used to like listening to Ross and the other lot, but this pig, Daniel, has ruined it. There, there you go. So I don't know what to say. I, I'm having a jab, but however the rest of you feel, I, I really don't mind. It's entirely up to you. I wouldn't allow my political propaganda to get in the way. I certainly not of your help. I mean, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing, what amazing, I mean, life comes at you fast because at the start of that chat, I called you a national treasure. And by the end, you were a pig and a piece of shit. <laughs> and I really like pigs. I mean, they're among the most intelligent creatures on the planet. Lovely. I mean, I, I should have taken that as a compliment, but I don't think Samson there meant it quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also very unfair on pigs to be compared to Daniel Norton. Yeah, that too. Uh, well, well, look, well, I'm very excited for you, Daniel, and I'm looking forward to the day that I receive that text to get my jab. And I'm sorry if that upsets, you know, the Lawrence Foxes of the world, but I'm very, very excited about it. I'm pushing uh, your political propaganda, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> well, before before I get in too much trouble, we'll uh, we'll call it a day. But chaps, lovely to see you both. I'll speak to you next week when hopefully England are, are having a better go at the one-day international series against India, which we haven't previewed at all, but. Uh, Joffre Archer's a bit injured uh, and Moe and Ali's in the squad but probably won't play. Uh, until next week, chaps, good to see you both. Uh, Daniel, try not to upset everyone with your political bullshit and I'll see you soon. Cheers, chaps. Bye. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.